When you look at your life, what do you see? Success? A good person? Something very ordinary, perhaps? Or maybe more? Christ's offer, in contrast, is something different, something opposite, yet something entirely better, something extraordinary. And while it's not far off, we won't find it where we typically go looking. No, we won't find it there at all. Welcome, everybody, to September. It's hard to believe that uh, summer has just gone by so fast and we're going to be moving into fall season. This is a big deal here at our campuses because this is kind of like the kickstart for our ministry year. And uh, this past August, I had an opportunity to go away, as I do every summer, and focus time and study and prayer on what the menu might be for this coming ministry year when it comes to the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Before I jump into that, I want to thank uh, Pastor Kyle and Pastor Trent for carrying the teaching uh, this past summer. Pastor Trent down at Loring Park and uh, Pastor Kyle uh, here at the Eaton Prairie Campus and then online as well. Thank you. They did a great job. It's a, it was a powerful series and I hope that you are blessed by it. But what are we going to be talking about uh, in this coming year? Well, let me just give you a bit of a preview. These are things I've been working on. Uh, in October, I'm going to start a series through the book of Daniel, and I'm calling it How to Have Faith in a Secular World. And I just think that series is so important and so necessary with the way things are right now. How can you, how can your family, how can we as a church stay faithful and strong when we're facing so much adversity in our culture these days. And then uh, we're going to do a little mini-series on identity, because again, that's such a big issue in our culture. And we're going to be looking in the book of Colossians, uh, particularly at four verses. It's a two-part message. And we're going to really climb into what it means to find my identity in Christ and live out that identity. And then uh, we move into the Christmas season, and I'm going to do a series of four messages, and I'm calling it the Four Mothers of Christmas, or put it a different way, the Grace of Christmas. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, I thought Jesus only had one mother. Yes, in one sense he did, but I'm going to look at three other women that are actually mentioned in the genealogy and you'll be amazed and surprised about who is in Jesus' human earthly tree. It talks and teaches us so much about the grace of God. And then I'm really excited about next year because we're going to do two longer series of messages. And it's going to be about the, the big story of the Bible. And what I want to have happen in your life next year, in my life as well, is I want you to walk away from this series that we're going to be doing with a real grasp in your mind and in your heart of what the big story of the Bible really is so that you can, you can basically answer any question that is posed to you about why life is the way it is, why the world is the way it is, 
and why only hope can be found in Jesus Christ. And it'll just fill you and your family with such confidence and your uh, friends who may not be believers, I think it'll enlighten them as well. Uh, the first nine weeks, we're going to be in the early chapters of Genesis. And then in the second half of that series, we're going to be in the book of Romans. And I just, I think you're going to enjoy it. And I think it's going to really deepen your faith and give you a very strong theological understanding of God's word. And then we've got a series of the family right after Easter. And uh, that series I'm calling, Don't Make Me Come Back There. Do you remember that when you were a kid? Did your dad or your mom ever say that to you and you were kind of acting up in the back with your brother or, or sister or other siblings? And uh, it's kind of like dad kind of reaches back and says, don't make me come back there. Well, we're going to talk about Christian discipline. And uh, what does God teach us in his word about how we should discipline our family and, and handle those kinds of matters? And then there's uh, uh, some other things that we'll be talking about, some very special guests. One is coming this October. I can't wait for you to meet him. He lives in Israel, and we're going to be talking about all things Israel and uh, some prophecy, but his testimony is profound. And uh, next May, uh, we're going to have a guest. I can't give you his name right now because it hasn't been confirmed yet, but uh, when it is, and I tell you, you, you won't want to miss uh, his being with us. It'll be a very unique uh, and special opportunity. But let's talk about September. This month, we're going to be talking about living an extraordinary life or extraordinary living. And uh, the reason we're going to do that is because this summer there was a passage of Scripture that just grabbed my mind and my heart. I, I read it and, and it's like it wouldn't leave me and I kept coming back to it and kept saying, Lord, what is it you, you, know, you want? What are you saying to me? Because I, you know, every time I turn around, I'm thinking about this passage. And so in, in this month, we're going to be looking primarily at the book of Philippians, and then we're going to have one message next weekend when we jump out to the book of Acts, because it fits within our series of extraordinary living. But let me show you that passage that captured my mind and my heart. It's found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul writes to the Philippians, a church that he dearly loved. He said, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And I mean, the whole thing captured my mind, but the, the thing that really stood out to me is, is Paul saying, look, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves, which is behavior, in a manner worthy of the good news. And I kept coming back to that over and over again, and, and I, I found it to be very freeing. And, and I began to kind of think about the fact that, you know, a lot of times as believers, we behave and live like citizens of this world, like citizens of, a, of this culture, like, like the citizen of a political party or a uh, citizen of materialism or a citizen of a country or a citizen of a certain philosophy or ideology. And, you know, when you see yourself as, as being a citizen of the world, it's so easy to get embroiled in the tension of this world and, and in all the chaos and, and all the arguments and all the hatred that we see. No, we are citizens of heaven. 
In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So in a sense, we're left here to walk in this world, to live in this earth with knowing we are actually citizens of heaven. And we're to behave and conduct ourselves in such a way that, that people see that, that we are citizens of, a, of, a, of an alien world compared to what this world is. And it draws them into Christ. Imagine how that would change your marriage or your family or your friendships or your community. Imagine how that would change our church if we really lived with a deep sense that I'm a citizen of heaven first. And I'm going to behave that way. See, that's what leads to extraordinary living is when I live out who I really am. But there's, there's a problem that, that we struggle with that keeps us and challenges us from being able to live out the life that Christ wants us to have. And it can be summed up in one word, and that word is ambition. Ambition. And so we're going to be talking the rest of our time together about extraordinary ambition. But here's the, here's the problem. Before I, I can have an ambition that's extraordinary in Christ, I've got to deal with a conflict when it comes to my personal ambition. And I just gave away what the conflict is. But to make it more clear, let's go to what Paul says to the Philippians in this passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness, compassion, and by the way, you know, every time he says if, 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 in essence what he's saying is, you know, you do have this. You do have all these benefits that we just read there. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. That's a great verse. That's what I, you know, I mean, don't you want that for your family? God wants it for his family called the body of Christ, the church. He says, do nothing out of, ready, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that just goes against, it just goes against our culture. It goes against the mindset of the modern world. What Paul is saying here is, is that there's a problem with ambition. It's that when, when it gets defined by our selfishness, it becomes dangerous, and it causes all kinds of problems in our lives and in our relationships. Now, this word that uh, Paul actually uses here for uh, selfish ambition is a Greek word, and it is the Greek word eretheia, all right? Eretheia, and it actually means to have a rivalry, all right? A rivalry. It's the idea of two athletes who are in a rivalry with each other to see who is the best. So they jostle and they, and they push or they, you know, they kind of talk down on each other to prove it. It's the idea of two politicians, for instance, who are, 
who are uh, trying to win a political race and and they're you know they're doing everything they can to put the other one down and make themselves look better. Paul says, don't let that happen to you. And he's doing this for a very important reason. You see, there are two people in the Philippian church that Paul dearly loves. And this whole letter that he writes, in some sense, is dealing with them because they've gotten into a bitter rivalry. I don't have the passage up for you, but let me read it to you, and I hope you read it later on. It's found in Philippians chapter 2 and verse, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says, Now I appeal to Yodia and to Sintiki, these two women. I appeal, I'm asking you, Yodia. And Sintiki, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. In other words, he's, he's saying to the church, you got to come around these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. So Paul's, Paul's writing this letter and he's really concerned about these two women that, you know, that are, are women who has helped him spread the gospel, the good news. They're good, godly women and yet, and yet they're causing problems evidently not only between themselves but probably within the church as well. And he says what's happened is that they're in this, this rivalry. And what's driving this rivalry? Well, we, we saw what's driving that rivalry. Vain, conce vain conceit. Vain conceit. And that word vain conceit or that phrase vain conceit comes from a single Greek word. See, I'm trying to impress you that I really was studying this August. And that Greek word is the word kenodoxia, Okay. Kenodoxia. Maybe you can try to say it there at home if you're watching online or you're at the cabin this uh, beautiful weekend in Minnesota, at least. Maybe in the part of the country you're in, it's not so beautiful. Or maybe you're at one of our campuses or venues. On the count of three, I want you to say kenodoxia. Ready? One, two, three. Kenodoxia. All right? Now, this doxia part actually means glory. And so oftentimes in the Bible, we'll read about the doxia or the doxa of God, the glory of God. That's beautiful. That's great. But when you get this other prefix to it, this kenodoxia, all right, what it refers to is self-glory, all right? It's the idea of someone who is striving for their own glory to, to kind of prove themselves. And so... I've come up with a new Greek word as a result of that uh, that describes all of us, and that is that all of us are kenodoxiacs, all right? We're all kenodoxiacs. Turn to the person next to you, or if you're by yourself, just say it to yourself, I'm a kenodoxiac, all right? All of us struggle, all of us struggle to not take any glory to ourselves. It is in our sinful nature to be self-glorifying. In fact, I would even go so far as to say to you that as we look at what's going on in our world today and even in our own lives, that the, the, the basis for all of our relational problems, whether it's our kids who are squabbling or two you know, uh, people, a husband and wife who are squabbling in their marriage or friends who are squabbling 
all the way to nations that are squabbling and battling with each other and politicians, all of it comes down to this whole idea of kenodoxia. All of it comes down to people, individuals, wanting to bring glory to themselves. And what causes someone to want to bring glory to themselves is when they negate the truth and instead they insert their feelings instead. When you start living by your feelings, your feelings become the truth. It leads to kenodoxia or to vain glory. However, if I will listen to what Paul's saying here, and, and I'll put other people's interests first, all that strife, all that fighting, all that goes away. Because I'm living by a higher understanding, and that is the Word of God. And the Word of God must triumph my feelings and my emotions. So Paul says, I appeal to you. Do what is right as a citizen of heaven. I appeal to you, live by the word and not your emotions, not your feelings. It's the only way to deal with kenodoxia. This striving for self-glory that happens in our lives. And so I want to share a story with you that kind of amplifies this a bit. Maybe several years ago, you remember there was a movie called Amadeus. And it was mostly, a, it, was a, it was a fictional account of the relationship between Mozart and Antonio Salieri. And uh, the way the movie goes, and it won quite a few awards back in the day, uh, is, is it depicts this huge rivalry. Antonio Salieri is an 18th century uh, composer uh, for um, the Austrian Empire, the Habsburgs. And um, he has no greater desire than to be the greatest composer who has ever lived. Now, this is in the movie, all right? He's a real person, but he's been fictionalized. And he has this prayer in the movie. And I want you to listen to this prayer as I read it to you. He says, Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God. Make me immortal. After I die, let people speak my name forever with love for what I wrote. In return, I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life. But there's a problem. The problem is Mozart. In the movie, Mozart is portrayed as a, a careless person and frivolous and foolish with money. And he gets himself to all kinds of debt. One day, Mozart's wife, Constance, comes to Soleri and offers him a couple of Mozart's compositions and says, could you please sell this so, so we can pay off our debts? And Soleri takes the compositions and he begins to sound out the notes as he, as he reads it in his mind and he realizes how perfect it is. He realizes how good it is, how much better it is than, than anything that he can produce. And he goes into a rage and angry about this whole thing. And then I want to read you what he, what he says. He says, from now on, he's talking to God. We are enemies, you and I. 
because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy and give me for my reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation because you are unjust, unfair, unkind. I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth. As far as I am able, I will ruin your incarnation. Now that's, that's a fictional account, okay, of this rivalry. And it's overdone for a reason. Because it paints the, the, the thing that we all struggle with. We all had that, that leopard you know, that goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth in our soul like one would in a, in a zoo in the cage. There's just something in us that's always looking for our own glory. It's just something in us that, that we want to put ourselves first. It is the cause of all the misery we face in this world. And so that takes us to our first principle. And that is that your ambition, your ambition is in trouble when you cannot celebrate someone else's successes. Remember what Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. You want to live an extraordinary life? Then Discipline yourself to put others ahead of yourself. Your ambition is in trouble when you can't do that, when you can't celebrate the goodness, the successes of others. Have you been around people like that? Have you actually fallen into that trap before? You know, somebody starts to talk about somebody, how how good they are and what they're able to accomplish, then right away, what do we do? We kind of start saying, yeah, but, and then we point out some negative thing in their life. Or in our minds, you know, we watch somebody who's really talented or really good, and, and we wish we were that talented, and we wish that we were that good, and we wish we got that kind of attention at work, and, and we wish that our family, the spotlight would be more on us, and internally, we start kind of ripping that person down. It means my ambition is out of whack. That means I'm striving for my own glory. You can't live an extraordinary life. You can't be much of a witness when you, when you think that way and live that way. And our world right now desperately needs a church, a body of believers who aren't caught up in scandals like we are today, who aren't fighting and arguing with each other in vain glory. We need to see a church, a body of believers whose ambition it is to put others, to put others first. Which leads then to the second principle. Your ambition is in trouble when you are more concerned about yourself than those who are around you. Now, notice the two go together. I'm just kind of restating it in a different way. And the first cause, you know your ambition is in trouble when you're jealous of other people's success. But you also know your ambition is in trouble when, you know, you care more about yourself than you do others. And I came across this really odd story that I've got to tell you because it amplifies, again, this whole point. It's a true story. It happened several years ago. A man by the name of uh, uh, Carlos Flores was standing uh, near some uh, train tracks uh, in Harlem there at the train station waiting for the commuter train to come. And it was crowded. There were a whole bunch of other people around as well. And suddenly, this stranger just swoons, faints, and he falls into the shallow pit where the tracks are. And about the same time, you know, the, the bell goes off indicating that within one or two minutes, the train is going to be there. 
So Flores jumps into the little pit and he grabs the man and he, and he gets him out and gets himself out just in time. He's a hero. And he saves the guy's life. And so the New York Daily interviewed him and wanted to find out, you know, what it was like to, to be this hero. And what, it, what was it that compelled him to risk his own life to save this man? And I've just got to read the answer for you. I want to read to you what he said. He said, I was thinking, if he gets hit, I can't go to work. It's Sunday. I can't miss out. It's time and a half day. It's Sunday. I can't miss out. It's time and a half. And all of a sudden, you, you know, I appreciate his honesty, right? But what if it had been Monday and not time and a half? Would he just you know, stood back and let the poor guy get run over? Even, even in that heroic act, he's thinking of himself. It is so hard for us not to think about ourselves. But Mac Shulist, Mac Shulist, a nine-year-old boy, teaches us the value of thinking of others first. I read the story about Mac Shulist several, several years ago. A young boy who had an inoperable brain tumor, he was going to die. Make-A-Wish Foundation got involved, and of course, you know, a lot of kids when that comes down to that, you know, that big wish that they want, will we'll want to meet some celebrity or go to Disneyland or Disney World. But Max Schulis was so different. You know what his wish was? He wished that they would build a, a rock climbing wall at the playground at Ellisville Elementary School there in Missouri, where there are 600 elementary kids in that school. He says, I just want you guys to build a rock wall for my, for my friends to climb there on the playground. And they did. And he died. And I want you to listen to what the principal said. David Ness, the principal at the 600 Student School in suburban Ellisville said, we learned a lesson from a nine-year-old that even when we're going through tough times, we should be thinking of other people and not ourselves. Wow. Wow. I, I have to confess when I'm going through tough times, man, I, I just get self-focused. Maybe you're going through some tough times right now. It's so easy to get self-absorbed in those times. And sometimes it just takes a little boy to remind us that others have to come first. It's not about me. And as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we should be the freest people in the whole universe to put others first because, because of what Christ has done for us. Final principle. Your ambition is in trouble when there's no redemptive value to it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And you know, that requires kind of a redemptive attitude toward others, which means you know, I'm, willing, I'm willing to make sacrifices for others. It's not just that I want others to be put first, but I'm willing to make sacrifices for the sake of others so that they, so that they will 
have an opportunity to experience grace out of my life and grace out of my prayers and my love and my works and my concerns for them. You see, if you read the book of Philippians carefully, and I really hope you will, I mean, it's only four chapters long. You should be able to read right through it this week. When you read the book of Philippians, this whole idea of ambition is wrapped around Jesus. And in essence, what Paul is saying to these two women and to all of us is, look, you need to have the kind of ambition that Jesus had. The question is, well, what kind of ambition did Jesus have? And again, I just want to read this to you, and I hope you'll read this passage. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. It begins in verse 5. Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Imagine God becomes human. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God has elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I was meditating on those verses, and I want to wrap it up with just some notes I wrote down for myself that I don't want to forget. And I wrote down, and I, I, and I just, in my journal, I asked the question, why? Why did the Father give his Son the highest honor? And I think the answer to that question is because he put his Father's will ahead of himself. He set aside his own ambition. And his ambition was to do the Father's will. See, the way that you and I keep our ambition in check, the way we live a, uh, an extraordinary life with extraordinary ambition, it's when we put the Father's will ahead of our own. When we, the body of Christ, put the Father's will ahead of our own. And I kept thinking about this passage, and as I did that, I thought more, and I realized that, you know, Jesus only ever had one will. And that was to do his Father's will, and, and his Father's will was that Jesus would turn his ambition towards you and me, that he would love us so much that he would disregard his own life and give up his life so we could have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus would channel his will and channel his ambition to please the Father whose will was that you and I be reconciled to him. I mean, that should fill us so full of hope and joy and thanksgiving that we never have another thought about ourselves. But we do. And it's a 
It's a challenge and it has to be dealt with every day. But I'm telling you something. When you put yourself aside and put Christ first, awesome things happen. This past week, I had an opportunity to be in Bulgaria on behalf of Wooddale Church. And I did training in two places. One was in Sofia, the capital, uh, right around there. Trained a group of pastors who I've gotten to know through our partners here at, at Wooddale Church. And we just had a wonderful time talking about living a holy life and what it means to lead the church. But the highlight was when we drove a couple hours north into the mountains. And for the very first time, I had the opportunity to meet Bulgarians known as the Roma people. They have their own kind of culture and they, they live within Bulgaria. And uh, I was so blessed to be with them. They are so hungry for the gospel and so want to reach the you know, 1.2 or 3 million of them there in Bulgaria. And one man in particular, I'm just going to call him Mike. That's not his real name, but I'm just going to use the name Mike. Just blew me away. What I mean by that is he has such a holy ambition to see his people, the Roma people, come to know faith in Christ. Because the Roma people are belittled. They're mistreated in their culture. They're seen as second class. And he refuses to get caught up in that mentality. He refuses to you know, get polarized with that attitude. Instead, he wants to bring the hope of the gospel to his people and to the other Bulgarians and see them come together in the context of the church and show the culture what a difference they can each make when they find Christ. And to be around him and watch him weep, to be around him and, and listen to the passion in his heart and see the sacrifices that he's willing to make just so others will come to faith when he could be living for himself. It was, well, it was extraordinary. And I want to be like Mike. And I want you to be like Mike. And I want us to be like Mike. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we begin this series, we ask you to forgive us if our ambition has been self-serving instead of serving you. Forgive us, O oh God, for our jealousies that we may have toward others, tearing them down because, well, we honestly wish the spotlight was on us. We honestly wish we were better than them. Forgive us. Father, forgive us for being so self-focused, always thinking about ourselves instead of thinking about others and their needs and their concerns. Father, forgive us. And Father, forgive us for not living redemptively like Jesus, who gave his life away so we could have life. Lord, you may never call any of us to give our literal lives away. But Father, we can use our talents, we can use our gifts, we can use our finances, we can use our lives, we can give those away for the sake of others to come to know you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this week, I hope it's an extraordinary week 
because your ambition is aligned with Christ. Don't miss our message next weekend. God bless you.